0: Brian, we talk a lot on this podcast about guest experience, but something that doesn't get discussed as often as it should, especially in vacation rentals, is guest amenities.
1: That's right, Matt. Offering basic guest amenities like soap and laundry pods in every property is key to providing a great guest experience. The problem is it's a huge pain for property managers to pull that off from purchasing and storing everything to getting all those boxes kitted up for each home. No wonder... We hear so often for property managers that turn days suck.
0: That's why we're excited to be partnering with Sojo, who is on an absolute mission to make turn days suck last by automating your guest amenities.
1: Sojo guest amenity boxes are uniquely created for each of your homes filled with luxury amenities, beautifully packaged up room by room, plus extras like paper goods and trash bags. They'll connect to your reservation calendar and ship those boxes to you right in time for every turn day. No more storing or kidding. Sojo takes care of you step-by-step.
0: Step. And Sojo is offering 30 days of free guest amenities to guest X listeners. Claim your free amenities and learn more at GetSojo.com forward slash guest That's GetSojo, S-O-J-O dot com forward slash guest and the letter X. Go and claim your free guest amenities today. Welcome to the GuestX podcast, where my co host Brian Hamaui and I uncover the latest technologies and human driven initiatives that are raising customer expectations and forever changing how we define customer experience. If you are passionate about creating incredible content and unique experiences, join us as we talk to leading product and experience experts across the globe and learn how today's most successful brands are setting themselves apart from the competition. Happy Friday and welcome to the Guest X podcast. I am your co-host, Matthew Loney, and I'm here with my co-host, Brian Hamaoui. Brian, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Yeah? Really excited this week. Yeah, we've got a pretty cool guest. I think people are going to enjoy listening to him.
0: Yeah, no, I I think a lot of of what he's doing, you see a lot of what he's doing down there in your neck of the woods down in Orlando, so that'll be interesting.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and it's a completely different approach to vacation rentals and and management. Uh, Different type of model different approach. So I think there's a lot of topics that we'll be able to uh, dive in with him and extract some information that I think people are going to find really interesting. Get your brain going.
0: Yeah. And I, I, yes. And I think that a lot of our vacation rental managers, there's going to be some ideas and some thoughts here where they can take their existing businesses and leverage some of their, some of their products to drive incremental revenue, which I think is what everyone's trying to do right now. The occupancy is there. How do I get more bang for my buck? Yep. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, without further ado, why don't don't you give us a little intro?
1: Sure. Today we have Jeff Browns. So Jeff started his career at Target corporate headquarters as an analyst and gradually worked his way into e-commerce companies like Overstock and 1-800-CONTACTS until he was approached by a startup called OneClick Retail. There, he quickly became the director of operations and helped the company grow to over 100 employees, and they successfully exited. Jeff then decided to go into becoming an entrepreneur in real estate and decided to found Loma Homes. If you don't find Jeff running his company, he is enjoying time in spreadsheets, apparently. And with his family, he has four daughters, all under the age of seven. Absolutely crazy, admirable that he can found a company and have four girls under seven. It's
2: Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here.
1: Yeah. Yeah, boy. So we're, we're really excited to have, to have you me. today. We've done a quick intro, but... Give our audience a little bit of your background and and how you guys started Loma Homes. What was the
2: intention there? And then we'll start to dive in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here. Loma Homes started as what was meant to be like a side gig. I bought my first vacation rental in California while I was working full time. And I'm a numbers guy, and I was doing a lot of analysis on what was working and where the most profitable spots were. I came up with this little unheard of town called Joshua Tree, California. Bought that home. I should I should back up? I didn't. Before I bought the home, I looked at the the inventory in the area and did not see anything worth putting on Airbnb. And I knew this couple, this flipping couple, that they flipped homes all around the country. And so I partnered up with them and I said, Hey guys, I love this area, but everything is a trailer park. So if you could help me build something awesome that would fit the culture, I'll buy it from you. And so they thought that was great. And fast forward, the property did really well. And these guys just nailed the vibe of Joshua Tree. It was like we bought this dome and we put like trailers all around it for bedrooms and we decked it out with local artist murals. And it was like this hippie wonderland, which, if you know Joshua Tree, California, it is like super bohemian. It, let's just put it that way. So anyway, it did really well. And my partners could see the numbers I was making on that property. And they were like, we got to do this full time. Like, we got to go all in. And so they dropped their flipping business and I quit my full-time job. And we ended up uh, selling that property in Joshua Tree and went all in on Florida. Because we, again, ran the numbers, found that Orlando was like this pocket of profitability. And when we dug into it, we're like, "Why? why is Orlando so profitable? Besides the fact that it has Walt Disney World right there. And we found that top properties were theming and they had these, a lot of them kind of cheap themes. They were doing like vinyl minions on the wall and they were doing like just little things like that. They were like, you know, I bet we could do better than this. And so we decided if we're going to be competitive in Orlando, there's tens of thousands of vacation rentals. So we like, we got got to go all in. And we dropped like 200 grand on renovations and, and staging and made this galaxy themed house to go along with with people who are staying at Galaxy's Edge. And it worked. Our first year was actually in 2020 during the worst part of COVID. And we actually broke even, which was a surprise for us. And we did more revenue than most people, most properties do in a normal year. And so we thought, hey, if we can do well in COVID, we've got something. And we just have been growing ever since, doing more themed properties in Orlando. We've also expanded to the Destin and the Gulf Coast and just keep building the brand. That's where we are today.
1: Breezeway is all about uncovering initiatives that are forever changing the guest experience. Breezeway's best in class property operations and messaging platform helps do just that by helping operators differentiate their brand and deliver more service to their clients. Breezeway's smart messaging tools makes it easy to send welcome messages, resolve in-house issues, share status updates, and offer stay extensions and other services. Powering operations with messaging also enables automated text to notify guests when a property is ready for check-in, along with assigning work orders to your staff to second guests message in with a request. Combine the power of your operations with client communications and visit breezeway.io forward slash guest X to learn more. That's breezeway.io forward slash guest X to learn more.
0: That's great. And what I love that you guys are doing is you are truly seeking to create an experience, one that matches the destination that guests are looking to go and you're doing it within the four walls. One of the questions I've got, I think we definitely want to get into the economics of this and how you guys underwrite these deals, what you're looking for, lessons you've learned about what doesn't maybe work. One of the questions though, Jeff, when we were talking couple weeks ago, that I had in my head was does this work outside of areas like an Orlando, which are more true destinations, as opposed to maybe a destin Florida where we're going to go with our family every single summer? And it's not as much around the theme park and and there's certainly a, a vibe to Destin, Florida, but it's not Joshua tree. It's a little more traditional. What's your thoughts on the applicability of this at more of a broad scale?
2: Yeah. I'm glad you asked that question because to be honest, if actually, if you look at our numbers in terms of ROI, our ROI is better in Destin and in Gulf coast than it is in, in Orlando. Our properties in Orlando do phenomenally well, but because you have to put more cash in Orlando, the ROI comes out, it washes out about equal, if not less than what you find in what we do in the Gulf Coast. And what we're seeing is that we're still charging 20 to 30% more than our competition in the Gulf Coast because we're creating experiences there too. And anywhere you go, anywhere you're going to vacation, you're going for an experience. The experience itself may be different, But everyone is going for a specific experience that they're looking for. So if you're going to the beach, you're going for a a beach experience. And so we don't theme out our properties to look like like spaceships and galaxies. What we do, and and this is just to give you a couple of examples. We took one house. It was on Hollywood Street. And so we made the whole house decorated and designed top to bottom to look like vintage Hollywood hotel uh, called the Beverly Hills Hotel.
0: Yep, beautiful hotel.
2: Yeah, it's beautiful. Yep. And so the whole home is decorated in detail to look like the Beverly Hills Hotel. And so that's the beach vibe that you can go have there and the experience that you have. And then we have other themes right there on the beach, like Pirate's Pearl and Sailor's Cove. And so they, they each have a color scheme and that design element is what gets you that premium, that premium nightly rate. That's great. You know, one of the things that is striking to me. And, and it's
1: always been something that I've always said. And actually, I think we've talked about it quite a bit on, on the show, Matt, which is the ability to control your units. So one of the things that I'm finding really interesting about your guys' model is that you guys do have external investors, but you are not answering back to homeowners. So you have full control over your units, your brand, and everything that's built inside of that brand. How has that affected the way you guys have an outlook on the business? Because even from a profitability look, your profits must be significantly higher. You're not sharing those profits with an owner. And, and I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we have in the industry, which is property managers do not own the unit. So we can't think of the houses the way we think they should. We rely on the homeowners to invest in their homes. Mm-hmm. That affects the home itself. And then on top of that, we're starting to share the profits with the homeowners, which also makes the operations very difficult to ask them to reinvest in the property. I'd love to get some, some background on, on how that's working
2: for you guys and, and how that's working for your investors as well. Absolutely. I love that you brought that out because that is our distinguishing factor. That's what you just said encapsulates our entire strategy and how we differentiate ourselves, because controlling your inventory is how you control your brand. And we're trying to become an experienced brand. And you can't do that if you're relying on someone else to, to invest in their home. And so we control not only the homes we buy, but the renovations we do, the themes we put in them, everything about that. And so now we're creating this brand where when someone comes and stays at our home, they get Uh, a little branded pin for that home. Every home has its own brand and they can collect all the pins that for all of our homes. And they know that when they've stayed at a Loma Homes home, they've they've stayed at something unique and different. And so now when they come back, we get a lot of guests that are just, they just look for Loma Homes homes now. They don't just look for another vacation rental. They look for a Loma Homes property because their previous experience was good. They want to experience all of the different homes that we have. And so that's really uh, a a powerful thing for us, as well as people just to to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. So it really markets itself because these properties are unique and they go, I got to figure out what they're doing. And so we do a lot of Instagram stories of behind the scenes of creating the properties and renovating the properties and people just love it. It's almost like a little HGTV show on our own Instagram. And we even involve our guests in the construction process where we say, Hey guys, like we're, th- we're coming up with a new theme. Here's the house. It's three bedrooms or whatever it is. What should we theme it? So and cool. people just, people throw in their ideas and then they feel involved. They feel like you're building a pipeline
0: of yeah. future. guests. I mean, these people are not going to contribute the ones whose ideas you pick. They're going to come stay in this home, whatever it costs. Right. That's such a great idea.
2: Yeah. And so it allows us to do all those things. Now, the biggest, uh, you know, downside to what we're doing is obviously scale. It's hard to, you need a lot more capital to get the the properties. And so you do have the element of fundraising to get the capital to do that. But I would say that you're, because like you said, the profit margins are higher. We're not sharing profits with owners. We're able to share that with investors. And what I'll also add to that is we have another overarching strategy, which I think is worth mentioning here. Obviously there's the benefit of not sharing your profit with owners, but when you own a portfolio of assets, that portfolio of assets can be sold at a different valuation. As long as your portfolio is big enough, it's no longer valued at a residential home value. If you try to sell an individual home, what are they gonna do? They're gonna bring in an appraiser, they're gonna look at comps in the area. But if you sell a portfolio, they look at it in terms of of an investment and they look at it at a cap rate. Will you apply a cap rate on a vacation and you're gonna go from, you're gonna double the value of your home in very short amount of time because you've created a business value you've created profit and then they apply the the multiple on your profit and it's huge. So that's really our goal is buy these, these properties create enormous amounts of revenue and profit out of them and then sell the, the assets at a, eventually sell the assets at a cap rate. And then we can keep our property management company because we we manage those same assets. So now we have the profit from the homes. You don't have to own them forever, but then you sell those assets and then you can reinvest to buy more. Yeah. Very so smart. That's, that's how it works in the long term.
0: It is a little bit of home flipping, just a with, a, with a longer hold, an in-between revenue pr- production, which then can be further monetized beyond the home, which is, is nice. So you guys do have, so let's talk about the economics. Because in, in home flipping, one of the larger costs is the cost to carry. I've got to I'm gonna leverage this up as much as I can so we don't have to come out cash up front to get the initial home. But then I've gotta carry that debt. And so the faster I can get the remodel done, get it on the market, get it sold, the less carry costs I've got, which helps. And the margins can get a little tight in home flipping and the markets can change on you from the time you bought to the time you flip. So there's a lot that can go on. I think a lot of people saw The Gaines family down in Waco do this and thought, oh, this is easy. You just make money hand over fist. And home flipping is hard. So I imagine because of the similarities, Jeff, there are some do's and don'ts. And you guys are learning about what you can pay up front, where you want these homes to be located, how much you can put in maybe in relation to guessing the end of what you think you can drive as far as rental rates and occupancy and things like that. So at a high level, tell me or tell our, our listeners, how do you start to go about picking a market and then within that market, what type of product you're looking for?
2: Great questions. How we pick our markets. We use a a very similar approach to what a lot of people are doing right now. We buy data from air DNA price labs, and others, and it's important to get multiple sources of data so that you can cross-check them against each other. But we picked Orlando and the Destin area because we looked at AirDNA and we looked at the, their investability score or their, the difference between the cost of the average cost of homes and the amount of revenue you can make. So that really, because mortgage ends up being majority at the largest expense that you have, it's about reducing that cost as much as possible. And so in relation to the revenue, so we look for those pockets where average revenue is high, cost of homes is low. And then once we find those pockets, we find the, the optimal strategy within that pocket. So it's asking yourself why are guests coming here? And we do a lot of analysis in reviews. So we've pulled, for example, we'll take all the five-star reviews of an area and we'll throw them into a text analyzer and say, what are people... What are the words that are coming out of these five-star reviews most? For example, if you did that in Nashville, you'd find the words bachelor and bachelorette party. And if you—and that's exactly what we did—we were looking at Nashville, and we're like, "Wait a minute! If you want to win in Nashville, you have to do bachelor and bachelorette parties." No, thank you. (laughs) So we didn't go into Nashville, but you can do that with any area and figure out because most people in their reviews they'll say, "We came for a blank." We came for this, we came for that, and we loved it because of, of X. And so those words start to, to show up and you, you create an experience around those words so that you know what people like and, and, are, and are coming for. And then to answer your question about the economics, to purchase a property we use a ratio that we've created and it's very similar to what's in traditional real estate called the 1% rule. In traditional real estate the 1% rule means that if you're going to buy a home, you want your monthly rent to be at least 1% of the total value of the home. So if you're going to rent a if you're going to buy a place for 100 grand, you want your monthly rent to be at least $1000 a month. And that's the 1% rule, but it doesn't work for vacation rentals because it's a seasonality thing and so you have to annualize that and we call it the 20% rule. If you're going to buy a home for $500,000, your revenue needs to be at least $100,000 a year. And that's and when I say 500 the f- home for 500,000, that's home and rehab. Adding those D- both good together, as long as you yeah, so as long as you can make a revenue of 100,000, then you can afford to to spend $500,000 on the home. And that's really hard to find right now with the market the way it is. But if you're willing to do a lot of rehab and add value, you can get there. And we we shoot for 20% because we have investors that we have to split it with. But if you're self-managing, you don't have investors, a 10% or even a 15% 15 rule is pretty doable. And it still makes you tons of profit. So hope that helps.
1: Yeah. So when you guys look at a particular market, are you looking at market saturation? Like how many units are you guys trying to get into market operationally, there's a number that makes sense, right? Is it five units, 10 units? How do you look at scalability and representation within a market so that customers know that you're there?
2: It's a good question. And to be honest, I think we're still figuring that out. We only have four in Orlando. We have about nine in Panama City Beach and Destin area. And I'd say that right about seven or eight properties is where it makes enough sense to hire our own on-site staff in terms of turnovers and, and all of that and that's really critical when you're controlling your brand and controlling your experience is having in-house staff that creates the experience you're looking for when you only have a few properties you have to rely a lot on cleaners and that, that share the load with a lot of other properties and it, it's hard to get them to do exactly what you need done for the experience you're creating and we found that anything over about six or seven properties that's where it makes sense to hire your own team to, to get that done
1: that makes a lot of sense, Matt. Because that's probably one of the toughest things inside of the business is controlling, especially now, the staff and being able to tell them and train them the way you want to present the homes. I found the exact same thing here in Orlando. In order for us to really get the quality that we want out of the houses, we have to have a certain volume of homes so that we have dedicated staff to you know be able to produce the product that we want. And I think that's absolutely crucial. So looking into markets, you must be thinking about going into a market and being able to acquire units. I think one of the points that you brought up is real estate has gone bananas over the last 12 Mm -hmm. months. We do quite a bit of real estate as well and real estate investment. And I just, it's not the same market today as it was six months ago. And so when you get into a position like that, how do you review the markets that you're starting to invest in? Because you're already, you're in there. So it, doesn't it change your strategy?
2: It, it just makes it, makes it tougher, but we've, we just have to get creative with our renovations. So that, that home I told you about, the, the Beverly, which is on Hollywood Street, that's a good example of where we bought the home. It was a pretty rundown little house, it had three bedrooms, but we're willing to do some pretty extensive renovations. Like that one had a first floor that was just completely, it was all a garage and the whole floor was just not utilized. So we, when we saw that home and we say, okay, it's three bedrooms now, but what if we just took that entire first floor and redid it to be what we would need it to be or, or optimize it for vacation, vacation renting, and we were able to turn it into a six-bed, four-bath home, and with its location right next to the beach, we were able to more than double the, the potential revenue of that property because we tend to focus on bigger homes. That's where the, that's where the profit really is, and so that's where we focus. Yeah, that is, is true, I, I think sure. it's
1: fascinating. It's it's something that's been in the back of my mind. It's like, you need to own your home. You need to own your product and then go to market and you can control everything. The house, the guest experience, the
2: products, I'm, I'm all about it. It's awesome. It's a long-term game, but if you can get the capital and you can fundraise, then I think it's more profit long-term.
0: Yeah. And I would imagine getting your investors to understand the value of the exit because the homes are gonna appreciate at the same time that you're returning capital each year so that it really is, it's got, I don't wanna say it's a safer play, but I see these guys out buying vacation rental managers whose sole asset are the contracts. We hear about this with Vacasa. They're buying X number of doors, a hundred doors at $30,000 a door, so they're spending three million bucks, and then they're losing ten or twenty doors. are walking; they're they're walking out. I mean, your risk, unless you can lock those homeowners in, which is very tough to do. And I think a lot of them now are realizing that I bought these contracts, and then these homeowners are real; they're wanting to take advantage of the height of the real estate market, so they're selling. So it's not even that I've upset these homeowners. I may be a great operator, but it was just the time in their life. It was time to sell. And the next homeowner isn't interested because they're going to live in this home. So now yeah. I've lost inventory there. we here, again, controlling that inventory and being able to choose when's the right time to exit. And you're adding so much value to the homes by creating these experiences, which you're then seeing in the rental values Going back again to Jeff's point earlier, it all feeds into a much more profitable valuation analysis by the group who's stepping in. Let's be honest. Jeff's homes are not going to be resold to people who want to live there full-time. They're going to be resold to a company that's really looking almost to, it's a portfolio, it's a REIT, and that's massive. And you could, I would imagine, Jeff, have you guys thought, is there... Would you think, and I know you're so early on it, would you think that at some point there might be an exit strategy where you sell, but then retain management rights, which is very common, by the way, in the hotel industry?
2: Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up because we have, if you're going to do what we're doing, it's very important to separate the, the assets from the management company. Because if you're ever looking for an acquisition right now, what we're doing is so new that there's not, I don't know anyone out there or any buyers out there that are looking for both a property management company and an asset company. There are private equity companies that are looking for high yielding assets. And there are vacasas out there looking to buy property management companies. I don't know anyone that's looking to do both. And so I think that if you really wanna position yourself for eventual sale, you've gotta separate those two things and keep them hundred percent different. And that's what we've done is we, In order to sell our assets, the the, the risk in selling our assets is that we lose our brand. But what if our brand is attached to the property management company and we can sell the assets from underneath us and and liquidate the value that we've created in those assets, but keep the management company? Because we could, before we sell those assets and we could write a contract for five years for those assets, then we sell those assets, we're gonna continue to generate revenue off of those properties on the property management side long-term. And so that's the advantage of kind of splitting it up and having both.
0: Brian, we used to do this in the restaurant industry. So when we decided that a market was perfect, it was, when I was at Argonne Capital, we had a thousand restaurants, I think, before I left. But when we decided that a market was an area where we needed to be, we would go ahead and build the restaurant, start operating it, get the sales up. Now it's selling for not potential, it's selling for actual what it's generating, but then we would retain management. So it was someone who wanted the dirt and the ongoing revenue and was willing to then pay a management fee. And it was great because we were making money. We had a pretty quick turn, maybe 18 months after we'd go live. So we'd quickly be able to realize the the value of what we had built over the last 18 months and Mm -hmm. the capital we had put in. But then we had what effectively is an annuity for a certain number of years, because one, we've got the franchise agreement. So that's a 30 year agreement. So they're paying us top line and you'd have the management fees, which were typically a three to five year agreement with one year renewals thereafter. so. You're Now you've got multi-layers of income that you've got on this. I love it. That's a great idea.
1: I agree with you. I think it's fascinating. It, it, it is fascinating because there's still so many verticals that the industry hasn't explored. And concepts like what you guys are bringing into the market just opens us up to so many more opportunities.
2: And I, I love sharing the information because I, I want more people to do this. This is, this is so new that it's going to be hard for me to sell a portfolio of vacation rentals at a cap rate because it's, it's just not really done yet. And I say yet because it's just, there's value there. And wherever there's value, there's going to be someone who's willing to buy that. But because it's new, it's going to be hard for us to work too much on the bleeding edge of this to just go out and sell it easily. We're going to have to do some work in educating the market to the value we bring to the table. And so the more people that get into this and start doing this, the more normal it makes it. And it just validates our strategy.
1: It normalizes the market a little bit, also gives you the opportunity to go and acquire a company like that. You have nobody available to go and acquire. So it's availability. That's right.
0: Yeah. So Jeff, one quick question, mistakes that you guys have made maybe around the economics, but maybe just in the branding of these hotels or these hotels, we were just talking about (laughs) hotels, the branding of the properties or the remodeling. What what would you say are some of the mistakes you've made that people can avoid if they think, because I could see somebody maybe, we have managers who have got 150 properties and they own five. Just because that was a way they felt like it was great reinvesting, they're getting to manage it. So they felt like they kept control. And so they may hear this podcast and go, okay, I'm going to take one of my five and I'm going to test some of the things Jeff's talking about. So what are some, anything that they should avoid?
2: Yeah, for sure. Our second themed property went up, we gave it a, it's in Orlando and we gave it a wizard and we, we wanted to make sure that guests who were going to Harry Potter world were had an experience similar. Before we went into it, we, we got an attorney to give us some advice and we found out that later that attorney did not give us very good advice. Everything we did, that attorney told us to do was wrong. <laughs> and within a month of releasing that property, we got a cease and desist. So... That was fun, minus the fun. It was a learning experience. By the way, by the um, way,
0: as a former attorney attorneys are never wrong. No, no, just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good legal advice. Good point number one. Okay. Okay, yeah. It's, yeah, uh, you
2: get what you pay for and legal advice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just that's the lesson there. Anyway, it was pretty scary there for a little while. We thought we were gonna get sued and the owners we also learned that with copyright law, you aren't protected by an LLC. That they can actually come after your personal property as well and we I thought i was going to be living out of a box after that one but luckily hard to, we hard we were, to do
0: with four kids it, it is you need the big u-haul wardrobe yeah, big boxes, boxes, the big boxes
2: yeah. they were going to be big nice box.
0: boxes but they were going to be boxes nonetheless
2: yeah so anyway we worked with them to make some necessary changes to the property all in all you know we were able to work it out and make the changes we needed to make and everything so the property's still live today. And we learned a lot about where the legal lines really are and what you can and can't do. And I would say lesson number one, if you're gonna theme, make sure you're not you're infringing on anybody's domain that you're doing it, you're doing it the right way. Right now in Orlando, I could tell you 90% of the themed homes out there should get a cease and desist. Yeah. I mean, they're really not. They're not doing it the way they should be doing it. Just be careful because why they went after us and not the other. Homes that are out there, I don't know. I think when we did it, at the quality that we did it, I think they assumed that there was money there, and they thought, oh, this is worth our time to sue, and maybe you know, if you do a half a half job on it, then it's it's less risky. I don't know, but I'm just seeking seeking attorney's advice before you do that stuff.
1: I think it's a really interesting topic, uh, maybe for another day. But the the whole thought process behind theming, some of the legalities behind theming. It's a really big issue in the Orlando market especially if you don't understand how licenses work. Just because you have somebody that can paint Mickey Mouse man, maybe we just got into trouble because I said Mickey Mouse on a wall doesn't mean that you can actually market your rooms as Mickey Mouse and there are a lot of legalities behind that. They they have an entire department dedicated to looking at stuff like this. And so right, it'd be right, interesting. And, and by the way,
0: rightfully they've put hundreds fair. of millions of dollars of building the value they have yeah. to continue to capitalize on that value they're they're protecting their shareholders and their assets but you're right it is licensing well, is very difficult as you know brian i think you've got a background yeah. in licensing yeah and it goes
1: beyond that right because you when you do licenses when you see a cup that's got a mickey mouse or ha- that has a mickey mouse that's not technically disney producing those products those are people producing the product and purchasing a license that could go north of quarter of a million dollars just to start off on the licenses. So they're protecting the people that are investing in the company, not just the product. No, It's a cool topic.
0: Good, Good point. Hey, Jeff, before we end, I like to ask our guests any good books you've read lately, or it doesn't even have to be lately good business books that you or experience books that, that you've read, that you've taken, taken good information from that people should maybe look to read.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Most of the books I read are like self-help, like, you know, atomic habits and things like that. But I did read one business book recently that I highly recommend for anyone starting their own business. And it's called Nail It, Then Scale It. I'm not sure if you've read that one, but it is great in emphasizing customer feedback. And that's one thing that we started to do, or I started to do as the owner of the company, I actually began calling guests after their stays and just saying, Hey, I'd love to understand your stay and and what we can do better on your stay. And through that, we learned a lot of things, things like I didn't expect to learn, for example, that over half our guests were local travelers that were celebrating a kid's birthday. And by just learning that information, we were able to, we didn't know we were capitalizing on a whole niche that was very profitable. And we were targeting international travelers and fans of these themes when there was this whole like group of parents that were willing to spend thousands of dollars on their five-year-old birthday party. And so finding that out was, you know, helped us grow that side of the the business a little bit more. So I'd say Nail It and Scale it is great. And yeah. Atom- um, Atomic
0: Oops. Habits, by the way, good book though. It uh, is a good book. It really, yeah. it really is it, for those listeners who haven't read it. Hey, uh, Jeff, how do people reach you if they've got questions, if they just want to, Chad, if they want to hear more about what you guys are doing, what's the best way to get in touch?
2: Yeah, so you can go on our website at www.loma-homes.com, or you can email us at info at loma-homes.com.
0: That's great. Hey, thank you so much for the time. We we really appreciate it. and I just think it's been a fascinating topic, and an area that people, I think, are going to get a lot of Good information from. So we appreciate you joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me. Great to have you That's
0: on. That's it for this week's episode of the GuestX, a member of the Hospitality Podcast Network. Be sure to sign up for our email list at guestxpodcast.com. That's guest the letter x podcast.com, and follow us on your favorite podcast app. I am Matthew Loney, along with my co-host, Mr. Guest Experience, Brian Hamawi, signing off and reminding you to always create a guest experience worth talking about.